Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. Red Sea rules, number two. So we've got 10 of these rules that we're going to march through. We had one started off last week. If you didn't know about our series, then you do now. This is we're going through a book. It's called The Red Sea Rules, and I think it's one of the more insightful kinds of, I don't know, journeys to see how God interacts with people. And today I'm going to talk about a U-turn. I am... Um, Seventh grade, we were headed to, on a 4-H bus trip to Red River, New Mexico for a skiing outing. Two busloads of kids from junior high to high school. Uh, we got stuck in Boise, uh, Boise or Boise City, Oklahoma, overnight because of the weather. Uh, kids were thrilled, parents were not, as I recall. We just thought it was a blast. And so I was in seventh grade, this girl that was kind of close to me, I kind of I knew her, but, you know, we talked a lot all through that night, and we kind of hung out and skied together when we went to Red River, and kind of hung out, and and uh, it was just kind of a flash in the pan, if you will, and, and I didn't really, I don't know, we didn't, and we got back, I mean, she had a boyfriend, and I, whatever you have when you're a girlfriend, I guess, in seventh grade, whatever that was, and, well, and I don't know if I told you this part of the story, but... Um, my best friend's girlfriend was the girl that I was kind of hanging out with on this. So didn't make a big deal of that. So get back. And really, I kind of kept an eye on this girl for a hunk of time in my life. And, and then finally, she was always dating guys that could drive, of course. He's older than me. And so I really never... Well, I finally got a car when I was a sophomore. And the first, there was a dance after the first... Um, uh, football game, I think is what it was, and um, I, she had a boyfriend that was happens to be in college at the time, so I was like, hmm, well, she might say yes. So I took her out to this dance when I was a sophomore. Ended up dating for five years. Got to know this girl pretty well. Ended up marrying her for like 40 years, and so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it's kind of interesting, though, as I think back on that story, you know, there's just this little, this, what was that in seventh grade? There's a little flash in the pan kind of a deal, and we both kind of hung out each, with each other, I think, at that time. And, uh, I mean, for that ski trip, and then really, really hardly at all after that, and uh, until, you know, sophomore year. But it's like, it's like God just kind of gave us a little, I don't know, you look back on it, it's like we kind of knew each other, but then we didn't, and then came full circle and brought us around to, gosh, that's the person I've spent, you know, most of my life with. We also saw this kind of thing happen when we were coming out of seminary. We came up here out of Cal, uh, sem seminary to help start this church. It was 1993. Um, I was planning on starting a church in Cheyenne, and then we came along this guy who was Dick Young, who's already started a church, or he had had this core group going, and I thought, man, maybe I could be an associate. And so, long story short, I was the associate pastor for Cheyenne Hills Church between 1993, when it started, to 1997. We knew we'd go out and start a church somewhere, so we did, and we started a church down in Colorado. We were down there for 10 years. I called up about 2008 and said, hey, would you be willing to come back? It's like, well, I could at least pray about it. 
Now, this is not the normal track. I would tell you that most people's stories that I've heard, you know, you don't go as associate pastor somewhere and then go away for 10 years and then come back and then ask to be the lead pastor of that church. It just doesn't happen often. But it's interesting to me to see that U-turn. You know, there was exposed to Cheyenne and Cheyenne Hills and you know, would be we willing to call, uh, come back. It's like, you know what? We loved our time there and we certainly would pray about it. And God brought us, kind of did its big U-turn. So you could think of why, why the big U-turn? Why did you spend all that time, that 10 years away, and then to God bring you back? I, I know for me personally, I can see clearly now, God did things in me during those 10 years as a leader, as, you know, really learning how to trust God in ways that probably I never could have learned had I stayed here the whole time. So I know that there's a lot of growth that happened in me and trusting in God. And so I look back and say, I can see why we went on this journey, but um, still you kind of wonder, huh, this is kind of an interesting thing. You kind of get a little flash, you kind of go a long way away, and then God brings you back to this place. Well, that's really what happens in this Red Sea rule number two today. I want to show you this video because I think this video shows in a very clear way, even what I was talking about last week of how God led these children of Israel through the wilderness and basically brought them to a place that they were stuck between the Red Sea, uh, the mountains surrounding them, and this little inlet coming in. This shows it about as, about as well as anything I've ever seen. So I'd like for you to take a look at this and then we'll talk about it. Now Moses would have led the nation of Israel on the main trade route that went from Egypt to Arabia and Midian. However, just before arriving at the northern tip of the Aqaba finger of the Red Sea, God redirected their path so that he might display his glory to Israel, Egypt, and the surrounding nations. Exodus 14.1 provides the details. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hathoroth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Saphon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. This explains why they left the main travel route and arrived at the Nueva Beach of the Aqaba Finger of the Red Sea. There has also been found in the Gulf of Aqaba, Finger of the Red Sea, in the area of Nueva Port, amazing evidence of coral growth on objects that look like old chariot wheels, axles, and so forth. It has been found on the shore across from Nueva Port, on the Saudi Arabian side, these same figures. So you can see in this video here, this amazing coral figures that look like axles, that look like chariot wheels and they're just all strewn out as you go from Nueva out into the Red Sea and then on the shore coming up out of the Red Sea on the Saudi Arabian side as well. Now you should know that coral doesn't grow in sandy areas. It must have rock or something solid to grow on and this area where they crossed is just pure sand so these figures are tremendous evidence of chariot wheels 
that would have come off from the Egyptians as they pursued the Israelites. The area where the Israelites would have camped is large and can accommodate three million people. So this Nueva port here that you can see is huge and it would easily have accommodated three million uh, people. Now, interestingly, the sea in this area, the ocean floor of this part gradually goes down and then gradually goes up. Just north and south of this area are deep crevices, deep ravines in the ocean floor where the Israelites could not have crossed. So of the Aqaba finger of the Red Sea, there's this perfect spot where it's sandy, goes down gradually, goes up gradually, but it goes down almost a half of a mile down in the ocean. The Israelites were thinking that they were going to be destroyed by the Egyptians. They're hemmed in, they're panicking, and God says, why are you crying out to me, Moses? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Man, I'm so glad you got to see the Ten Commandments right there. I was talking about it. They dubbed it in there. So way to go, you guys. That's awesome. You get to see Charlton Heston. Listen, seriously, if you haven't watched Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston, well, it's like it was like a staple back when I was growing up. Every year, you remember? Does anybody remember this or just me? Every year, Charlton, maybe it's just in Kansas. We had to watch Charlton Heston. We had to watch Wizard of Oz. Of course, that's a Kansas movie. Um, another tornado issue. I don't know how they got, got part of the sea, part of the, anyway. Um, uh, it's a wonderful life once a year. Now, I'm just going down memory lane just for the heck of it. Um, but anyway, this was one of them you saw every year. And so you saw this, and so this wall of water. The thing that I never realized, though, and what he said is that in this shallow area that went gradually down, and it still was a half a mile deep out in the middle. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine a half a mile of water? A wall of water. It's amazing. And to see some of these chariot wheels even still there today that, um, that the coral obviously latched onto and probably disintegrated everything in these thousand, you know, several thousand years, but still, uh, it's an amazing picture. Well, today I want to tell you the rule number two, and it goes like this. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. God said he would glorify himself through Pharaoh, and he did. But he wanted the, the, the children of Israel, I think, to learn something, and I think he wants us to learn something, is that we will also be led sometimes into places that don't make a lot of sense, into difficult places, maybe with our health, or maybe with our finances, or maybe with a marriage, or maybe with a, a job. And you go through these things of difficult situations, you go, well, this doesn't seem like I was trying to follow God, and here I am, and it doesn't make any sense. Listen, be more concerned for God's glory than your relief. God's going to glorify himself somehow. Continue to bake. Continue to listen, continue to follow. It's hard to do. 
quite frankly. I mean, this is where, this is where some of the great debaters of our day go to college campuses and are atheists. They didn't always start out as an atheist. They started out as actually a believer. There's some of them that actually had a religious background. But because they prayed to God for a certain situation that God would deliver them out of, and they never got delivered out of, at least in the way that they were wanting to be delivered, they became an atheist or anti-God and trying to convince everybody else that there is no God because God didn't come through in the way that they wanted to see him come through. And I think it's hard. It's hard for all of us. There are certain situations that go, Lord, why did this happen in our lives? I can look back now and I can see God was glorifying himself. I don't understand why some certain things happened. But I can see now God glorified himself in some of those. Do I have answers for all of them? Of course not. I do on some of them. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Exodus 14, here's it goes. Verse 3 and 4, And for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So this whole thing was set up so that God could glorify himself in this situation. And I would say, I would, I'm going to challenge you today to look at your situation and can you be patient enough, have enough faith to say, I think God is going to glorify himself through this situation somehow. It's not easy, but that's my challenge for you today. So I think if we're going to do that, we have to do a couple of things. We have to flip the question. We have to flip a you and flip to Psalms. So we're going to flip the, qu- flip the question first. Because I think the, the question that always comes down is much like the disciples. We have this question of why. Why is this this way? In this particular case, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and you can follow along in your U version. I think these verses are in your U version of, uh, of the Bible. Or hopefully you asked for a Bible when they came by. John chapter 9, this is a, the story of the blind man. And this, blind, this man was born, born blind. And the disciples asked the question that we would often ask ourselves. As they passed by, they saw a man blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There had to be some reason for this. Someone must have sinned somewhere. Otherwise, this guy, poor guy wouldn't be in this predicament that he's in. Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he healed him. And his eye, he, he, can't, he got his sight. And he glorified God. So the reason is that they had to flip the question. They asked the question, Why? Who sinned? And God said, Jesus says, it's no one. I think a lot of times we're looking for answers of why. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And it's natural for us to ask these questions. It's natural for the disciples to answer these questions. But it's also natural for, the, for God to say, it's because God's going to be glorified in a way that you'll never fully understand. And I think we have the same issue. I don't think we fully understand how God would 
is going to glorify himself through our circumstances. John chapter 11 is a similar kind of story. This is the death of Lazarus. Good friend of Jesus's. They send out messages. Hey, my our brother's sick. This is how it goes. 11.1 goes, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped her, his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, obviously, he did die. Lazarus did die. So he was thinking of a, an, a permanent, maybe eternal death. But he knew that what was going to happen next. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The purpose of this whole sickness and this illness in this particular case for Lazarus was that God would be glorified. Jesus knew it. And see, he actually told his disciples, we're going to stay here and wait for another couple days. Then they went. And he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they said, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, you can wake him up. He says, okay, guys, he has died. But we're going to go. And what they, they went so that God would be glorified. And, the, and Jesus, God, through God the Father, through Jesus, raised him from the dead so that the Father would be glorified. John chapter 12, another story. This is Jesus actually walking these waters himself now. This is in the garden. <clears throat> Struggling with this, his soul and trying to understand, trying to get his flesh to line up with his spirit. And this is what happened. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now, this wasn't in the garden, but, I, but it, was a, it was during that last week. I'm sorry. Verse 28. Father, glorify your name. So the reason that, that Jesus begged God, begged God the Father to remove this cup from him, so to speak, but he said, Lord, I know I've come for this end, that you could be glorified in the Son. So Jesus himself knew, even in situations that were, he knew was going to cause him pain, suffering, a brutal death, what got him to go through with this whole thing is he knew that God would be glorified. Father, glorify your name. The question I would ask you today is, can you glorify God in your circumstance? Can you actually say, okay, God, I know this is my situation, and I want you to be glorified in it, through it, somehow. There's a missionary, C.H. McIntosh, and he says this, If we could only look upon a difficult crisis as an occasion of bringing out on our behalf the sufficiency of the divine grace, it would enable us to preserve the balance of our souls and to glorify God, even in the deepest waters. And what he's saying, I, I understand. It's like if, if we could just grasp the idea that God is going to glorify himself through this horrible situation we're walking through, it would at least bring some balance in our lives. 
Because if you go into a difficult situation and you don't have a balance of maybe God's going to glorify himself somehow, then you're going to go down the road of God's punishing me. God doesn't like me. I must have messed up. And you go into this whole guilt-ridden place of pretty much of a spiral in your soul. But what he's saying is true. If you can go in and say, God, somehow I would ask you to be glorified in my circumstance. If you can do that, what he's saying here, it would enable us to preserve a balance of our souls. That's perseverance. First Peter chapter four, verse 11, it says this, whoever speaks, speak as one who, as the oracles of God, whoever serves, let him serve as in the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter knew that everything that we did, every ounce of our being and his being was supposed to, to every breath that we breathe is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We have a little saying around here, don't touch the glory. It's easy for man to take the glory. We can give man credit, but don't give him glory. Man is not built for glory. God's built for glory. God can use us in this situation. He can use our failings. He can use our hard situations. He can use sickness. He can use um, loss of job, loss of all kinds of painful loss in our lives to glorify himself. Man, we can get credit, but we, we're not built for glory. We're, not, we're built to glorify him. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. There's the balance. So we need to flip the question. Instead of saying, God, why? We need to say, God, how? How can you be glorified in this situation through, through my circumstances? Second, we need to flip a U. And you guys just saw the U-turn up on the board. That was, that was new to me. I came across this, uh, this week as I was trying to find some kind of graphic of, of their journey. And I have never seen this U-turn. I've read it before. It says God had them turn back. Did you see the turn back when they came back to that place? They passed. I wonder what, I wonder how this happened. They were following the pillar of cloud by day pillar of fire by night, right? And they were to travel day and night. They left this area of Goshen. This is kind of, this is Egypt. This is the, that's the Nile River and kind of how it fans out. They were kind of in this area right here. They kind of crossed over and then they left from this area and they, some people think this was the crossing of the Red Sea. This whole thing's the Red Sea, considered the Red Sea. This is the Suez Canal up in this area now. But they were, they crossed here and a lot of people think, well, this is the crossing, but then the miracle of having killed all of Pharaoh's army in a marsh doesn't square so well. So people have had all kinds of ideas and opinions. This, this one that, that this guy showed and that I've, I've come to really understand, I really believe this is the, the path, and I think it squares with the, the scriptural evidence as well, and I'll show you in a second. So they come across this area, and they go across this trade route, and then you remember what it said, they came to this, this area of Akrabah, or this, this point, and now they could have, this is the interesting thing to me. 
it says they could have gone up by the area of the Philistines. And the Philistines lived up here. This is kind of where Gaza Strip is today. There's a Mediterranean Sea and there's Gaza right in through here. They could have taken a week and they could have been to the promised land in just a matter of weeks and days. But God had a different plan for the children of Israel. And God wanted to glorify himself in all of this in a way that was unique. And so he had them turn back. Did you, did you see that part? It came back right here. And then they went down this crazy, windy thing, and they came to this Netanueba beach. And this is where they crossed over to Saudi Arabia, and, and Mount Sinai is right over in here somewhere. There's a couple of things that I think are reasons for this, but first, I, I just have to take you where my mind went. It's like, why did God miss the turn? He was, he was the one leading them, right? Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. I don't know, I'm just thinking. God's driving this cloud. Jesus in the passenger seat. Holy Spirit in the back, maybe. I don't know. You're just kind of trucking along. Now, someone said this after last, uh, uh, last week and said, I wonder if that pillar of cloud, because they'd been over then in this desert before, and it's like between 114 and 120 degrees. What if that cloud actually was a cloud overhead and it shaded those 3 million people traveling around? I thought that was really interesting. It makes sense. So the pillar of cloud by day could have been, instead of 114 degrees, it could have been in maybe in the 70s or 80s. God could do whatever he wants to with, with weather except shut the wind off in Wyoming. But I mean, other than that, he can do... I'm kidding, I'm kidding, Lord. I didn't mean that. I'm just kidding. So here they were just trucking along. So God's driving along and Jesus, co-pilot, spirits in the back. And it's like, uh, guys, we missed the turn. Do you think it's possible that, that God missed the turn? Because he was going to take them down to this beach right here. We all... We, that makes a ton of sense. Why would you go clear past this and make three million people? Do you know how many people that is? That's a lot of people. Uh, that's like Denver used to, they used to say there was three million people in the, just Denver proper. That's a lot of people to be taken across a desert and miss the turn. There had to be a reason for it. Because you take three million people and turn them around and come back, I guarantee you, a few of those people were thinking, hey, we've, we've been here before. Just a few days ago, we, we passed this rock right here, and now we're passing it going this way. I'm not so sure Moses knows what the heck he's doing. I'm not sure if God even knows. I don't know. We're following this cloud around. I'm a little suspicious. You think that happened? I guarantee you it happened. So I think it was a test for the people, for sure. Are you willing to follow this cloud, even if it makes it take a U-turn? Now, before you answer that, ask yourself, are you following God, even when he takes you into places that don't make a whole lot of sense? It's the same thing. So what was the purpose of the U-turn? I think, I think there was a lot. You look at the biblical thing. I don't think God missed the turn. Because he could have easily brought the people here and gone right down this direction, right? But he didn't. He went back and passed it and came back. I think that Pharaoh 
probably had some spies, wouldn't you guess? Hey, follow these guys. Let's see where they go. Don't let them get too far away. And I think at some point, it's in the, the Lord said he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. At some point along the way, he's going to say, um, okay, we shouldn't let these slaves go because we have a lot of building to do around here and we need those guys back. And I don't think he had enough horses and horsemen to go turn them around. Three million is a big mass group of people. They were also armed. And if they're armed, they could actually fight back. And so three million against his several hundred chariots really didn't have a chance. But I would imagine that spy that was watching them from the high ground somewhere found out, hey, they're turning back and they're headed down that, that area, down to that Nueva Beach area. This is treacherous. There's mountains on both sides of this thing. This is narrow and treacherous. And when you get down there, you're surrounded by mountains. Go tell Pharaoh what's going on. And what does the text say? For Pharaoh will say to the, of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. They're wandering around out here. And the wilderness, he knows where they're headed. He's been here before. You think Pharaoh knows his backyard? This is his backyard. He comes down here and he goes, I know where these guys are going. We got them. Guys, get your chariots. These guys are toast. We got these, got these guys right where we want them. They'll never leave again. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because God led them on this crazy U-turn, and it made it look like, from the spy's point of view, the Egyptian point of view, these guys are lost, and they're just taking a back road that's going to get them into a box canyon. So the first reason I think this is because to signal Pharaoh that they're lost. Second reason, I think to remind, pe- remind the people that God is in control. Even when it doesn't make sense, God's in control. As I know this, there's some people that would have said, hey, we've been past this before. I think Moses must be, I don't know, he's getting a little, he's 80 or something now. Maybe he's 120 now. Maybe he's getting pretty old. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know. Remind the people that God is in control. I think we have to trust that God is in control, even if things don't make sense. And I think that's the lesson here. And finally, the main reason for all of this, in my opinion, is that God would be glorified. God is getting ready to do something these people would never understand and never believe in a million years, and neither would the Egyptians, that open up the Red Sea and have them, three million people, walk through on dry ground. God did this to glorify himself. We're going to see this in some Psalms. The final one is this. We need to flip to the Psalms. Psalms actually so many times will just add clarity to a poetic kind of clarity to things. Psalm 34, 19 says this, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear is toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, this is a powerful statement here because you and I have been through a lot of afflictions in our life. Has God delivered you out of them all? 
Well, maybe not exactly in the way you would like to see it happen. But listen, if you're righteous, that doesn't mean you're not going to have afflictions. We, we live in a, a world today, especially in America, that it's real easy for a whole lot of preachers to say, listen, if you just do the right thing, if you just follow God and obey God, everything's going to go well for your life. The psalmist doesn't seem to agree with that. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. You're going to go through the same stuff that everybody else goes through, even if you are righteous, even if you do it perfectly. It's not because if you sinned or your parents sinned, it's just life hurts. We live in a fallen, broken world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He may not deliver it on our time. He may not deliver in the way that we want him to. But the Lord delivers us from them all. And to trust him, even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. That is the Red Sea rule, that God would be glorified. Look for God's glory more than my relief. Psalm 136 is another psalm that I think is, is, does a similar kind of thing. Give, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn in Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who brought the Israelites from among them, his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the sea into two, in two, His steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through in the midst of it. His steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. His steadfast love endures forever. To him who led the people through the wilderness. His steadfast love endures forever. And it goes on. This whole picture is this this belief of the psalmist saying, God's love endures forever. His arm is with us forever. Even if you can't see it. If you don't understand it, realize that somehow God is going to glorify himself in your circumstance. And you're not crazy for just following this cloud, even if it leads you to a box canyon. If God took you in here, he's going to take you out. He can get you out of this. His steadfast love endures forever. Led you to a financial situation. His steadfast love endures forever. And marriage is not working well. His steadfast love endures forever. Loss of a loved one. His steadfast love endures forever. God can bring peace, can bring strength, can bring hope, can bring life. He will be glorified in all these things. His steadfast love endures forever. How about our situation today? We can look back at the Israelites and see all this stuff, a lot of political noise going on, right? And God delivered them out of it, out of them all, to glorify himself. That's, that's one level of belief to believe that story. It takes a whole nother level of belief to bring it into right now. Do you really think that God could, could glorify himself in the mess that we're in? That's what what the Bible is asking us to believe. 
Yes, we are in a mess. You can look at all kinds of directions. I don't think I need to point to it. There's a mess. His steadfast love endures forever. That's not eternity past ever. That's eternity future ever as well. God's steadfast love endures forever. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to keep following, and I believe that somehow you're going to be glorified through all this mess? That's hope. That's belief. It may get you a crazy sticker because you're nuts for believing that. But I think you're here today because you believe that or want to believe that too, that somehow God's going to glorify himself in this mess that we're in. That he's going to use us, use the church. He's going to glorify himself. His steadfast love endures forever. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as I even say these words in our situation today, and if I would unpack each one, it's it's Red Sea-like. It's uh, difficult to believe. A lot of critics saying we're lost in the wilderness. We've been led to a box canyon, and we are toast. And Lord, I just... I want to trust that somehow in a New Testament kind of way that you are, your steadfast love endures forever. I pray that you would help us to turn this, to flip this thing around and say, I don't know what God's doing, but I, I believe that God's going to do something in our day, maybe something special in our family, somehow to glorify himself, that out of this, all this mess, God, that you would be glorified. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Lord, that's where we're, that's where we're going to rest our hearts today. Help us, Lord. It's not easy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.